0: All right, three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, Man, this is episode 250. 250 episodes. Uh, I wish I had something special or something crazy to do to celebrate the milestone. I I really don't, Um, but I will say, like, we are one-fourth of the way, having a thousand episodes of Strong Opinion Sports recorded. That's unbelievable to me. I don't know, I just look back and go, it's been over like two and a half years now, and that's just crazy. <laughs> like, I, I just can't fathom, like, man, it's, we've come a long way. Uh, you know, I can't fathom it. It's not like something I can't believe, but it is pretty cool, I guess, to celebrate and to think, to We've come a long way, and um, I just want to say I'm grateful to the people who listen and watch and support the show. It makes me so happy, and I, I love doing it. So thank you so much. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about Michael Jordan. We're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers. I really think there's a similarity between Aaron Rodgers and Michael Jordan. We'll talk about, Uh, I have a bunch of other stuff planned for the end of the show. We'll talk about, I'm going to revisit Josh Rosen because man, people got really mad when I called him a bust. Am I going to double down? We'll find out. Um, But I want to first start by talking about The Last Dance. I want to talk about The Last Dance episodes 7 and 8. Everybody seemed to agree that Those were the two best episodes of the entire series, and I agree, especially after finishing the entire series, I think 7 and 8 had the most humanity. These were the two second-to-last episodes, Uh, and I learned the most when I watched The Last Dance episodes 7 and 8. You know, I'm, I'm 23 years old. I was not alive during the Jordan era, and so some of the stuff we were watching during The Last Dance was completely new information to me. I was learning it as new stuff. You know, I did not know. I don't know how I didn't know, but I'll be very honest. I did not know that Michael Jordan's dad was murdered. Like, I mean, I I just, it's, what? That never, I never knew that. People often refer to Michael Jordan's year off from basketball. People say, uh, you know, Michael Jordan left basketball. He took a year off to go play baseball. And usually they refer to it in the negative sense. Like they're comparing LeBron James and Michael Jordan, And they'll say, well, you know, again, you know, Michael never had, you know, LeBron's never had to take a year off. Michael had to take that year off and go play baseball. It's like, hmm, you know, first of all, I hate the goat debate. I think it's very, very silly. Who's the greatest player of all time? I I don't know. There are different players from different eras. Some people get really hung up on it. I just don't honestly care. Uh, I, I feel no need to compare. I like both players. I love LeBron. I love Michael Jordan. But man, I never realized that part of why Michael Jordan quit basketball for a year to play baseball was because his dad died. That's like a thing nobody ever seems to mention. People, people really kind of shame Michael Jordan for that year off. And it's not like Michael Jordan's dad just died; his dad was murdered. Like, why does everyone skip over that? It seems like a a big detail to just leave out. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only person who didn't know that. I probably am. Honestly, I'm probably like some idiot that goes, "Oh, everyone else knew that." Well, I'm I'm sorry, but for me, I didn't know that. Um, and every time when I, I grew up listening to sports radio, I loved sports radio when I was a kid and nobody ever mentioned that it was never like an asterisk. It was never something people mentioned. People shamed Michael Jordan for that year off. No one mentioned, oh, he's soul searching because his dad was murdered. It's a big deal. You know when My brother died four years ago. I understand what it's like to lose someone you care about. And it's just crazy that Michael Jordan's dad's death isn't mentioned more. Especially the way, the way he died. I mean, if my dad was murdered, I'd be a mess. Now, it's also funny or, I guess, interesting. Um, Michael Jordan was a not the best baseball player, but he was solid. He was a solid baseball player, and his career was actually kind of gaining steam. You know, people talk about Michael Jordan. Oh, he sucked He a double-A baseball, yada, yada. Um, no, he was batting 202. He was kind of headed in a good direction as a baseball player, And then a MLB player strike happened. That really kind of cut Michael Jordan's baseball career short, was that baseball wasn't taking place. He wasn't going to play because the players were on strike. And uh, that kind of pushed him back toward basketball. It just seems like those are two things forgotten in history. Michael Jordan's dad, the fact that Michael Jordan's baseball career really wasn't actually going that badly. It was actually gaining some steam. Uh, Now, 7 and 8, episode 7 and 8 of The Last Dance did confirm something that the previous episodes kind of hinted at, which is that Jordan was hard to work with and hard to be with, really, to play with. Uh, Part of why that year off was because of his dad died. It was also partly because he really kind of burned out. And I understand that. He was so intense for so long. And I think the flame kind of died a little bit. That's what he even says. You know, it was so interesting hearing Michael's former teammates talk about MJ... They're like, yeah, there was fear of MJ. He was tough. He was kind of a jerk, and they talk about how as time went on, they all began to appreciate him. But I think in the moment when you're playing with MJ, I don't know that he was a fun, really great guy to play with. I I I don't think that. I think people are much softer when they reflect on things. Um, But he was Jordan was hard on his teammates. Man, he had the highest standards, really of any player ever. And you know he. He tried to push them to get better. Uh, you know, it's funny, from Michael Jordan's perspective, it had to be you know exhausting to both try to live up to the expectations that are on you. as You're Michael Jordan. You're the aura around you. You're this big, larger-than-life figure. And you're also not only trying to manage that and live up to expectations, you're also trying to push everybody around you to be better and win a championship. Being Michael Jordan, whatever that means, is not easy. Doing that, being who he was, in the late in the '90s, really the entire '90s, um, I I just think, man, it's such a hard task to do, and it makes sense. Like everyone kind of needed a year off. Michael needed a year off. The Bulls needed a year off. You know, from basketball. From Jordan needed to get away from basketball and the pressure. I think the Bulls needed a break from Michael Jordan. You know, that year off for his teammates, for him, for the coaching staff, everybody was what everybody needed in that situation. But let's be very very clear. I don't want to make this get concerned or confused either. I'm saying like it was hard to be Aaron Michael. Yes, it was. I think the year off was what they needed. But in the end, the Bulls wanted him back. You know, BJ Armstrong half recruited him by, you know, challenging him in a gym and saying, "Oh, let's play one-on-one. I can beat you. You haven't played basketball in a while." And you know, it you know, it kind of got Jordan back on the court. And it's funny like Him being challenged to, like, are you good enough still? And then that bringing him back to basketball is the most Michael Jordan thing I've ever heard. Of course, like, him getting challenged and having smack talk and getting slighted a little bit is the thing that pushed him back to the game. Um, You know, I think it also is pretty interesting. He fed off all those little slights, all those little tiny digs at him. He would tell himself stories and construct reasons to play hard and motivate himself. And really, it's how I think he kept going after having initial success. I think a lot of people, when you have success or find a way to make it in whatever field or whatever thing you are, like, I think I'm a fairly successful podcaster, not the most successful. I'm not saying that at all. But hey, I've made it. It's my full-time job. We have some steamrolling. It's going okay. And when you do that, you have to find another way to motivate yourself. And I think all the greats, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, all have a similar thing where they find little things to motivate themselves, especially the slights. Every little thing, oh, you said what? You said this? Like, they find reasons to go out every night or every game or whatever it is and put on a show, and especially in the offseason, guys like Tom Brady, I know Tom Brady sits at home going, oh, you think I'm old? I'll prove it to you. And I just think it's fascinating and pretty cool that guys like him, like Jordan, like Brady, really, really find ways to motivate themselves. You know, there's that story where the Sonics head coach, George Carl, apparently didn't say hi to Michael Jordan at dinner. And honestly, I feel kind of bad for George Carl because the thing is you couldn't win. Any interaction with Michael Jordan was a total loss where no matter what you did or what you said, he would find a way to use it for motivation. You could be like, hey, Mike, how you doing? Your dinner looks great. He's like. He said, My dinner looks great. I'm going to kill him on the basketball court. It's like, oh, you, you whether, you, you know, George Carl didn't say hi to him. I think that's maybe the safest thing. Because if you do say hi to him, he'll be like, oh, man, George Carl was very friendly last night. I'm going to, he thinks we're friends. What, no matter what you do to Michael Jordan, if you talk to him or interact with him at all, the minute George Carl looked across the restaurant and saw Michael Jordan, he went, crap, I can I sneak out the back? Does, has Michael seen me yet? Is there a way? Cause if I talk to him, if I do any, if I even look at him the wrong way, it's going to motivate him. He's going to kick our butts on the basketball court. Um, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. Like any, I just that's my main takeaway. Any interaction with Michael Jordan was a loss at all. Now I loved a few things in this episode. Uh, one of one of the lines in this episode. One of Jordan's teammates said he goes, He was looking at him, reflecting and looking off in the distance, and he goes, "Was Jordan nice?" Was Jordan nice? He couldn't have been nice. He could not have been nice. He was hard to be around if you didn't love basketball, is another line I love. If you didn't love basketball, it was hard to be around Michael Jordan. He pushed everybody around him. And Jordan saw his role to be the guy, to push people around him to be better, even if they didn't want to. Here's a few quotes from Michael Jordan from episode seven and eight of The Last Dance. He said, Winning has a price. And leadership has a price. I pushed people who didn't want to be pushed. That's not a guy that's the most fun to be around. I'm not saying this here. It's not here or there. It sounds like actually somewhat good leadership to a a degree where, um, man, you're getting the most out of your players. I don't know if it's good camaraderie, but it's definitely like, hey, I'm going to get the most out of B.J. Armstrong or the most out of this guy or that guy. And then Michael Jordan said, ask my old teammates. I never asked them to do something I didn't do myself. I love that. It really is cool. That's that is leadership in a nutshell is I'm not gonna you know, when I was playing quarterback in high school, I couldn't yell at guys for missing workouts if I'm also missing workouts. You have to hold yourself to the same standard you hold everybody else to. Um, I, I thought episode seven and eight really highlighted the genius formula that we saw throughout the series in The Last Dance where You're intercutting between stories from the past and also stories from the '98 Last Dance season, and you know the history and the past moments are being shown. How the earlier years that led up to the events of the Last Dance year kind of created the future, created that time, and really added to the epicness and the uh, epicness. Is that as epicness a word? I don't know. Um, It added to the importance. You know, when you're hearing, oh, this thing happened in 1993. That's what you know, how it led up to the finals in 98. All these little moments. I think it's just really cool. And I really want to give kudos to the people who made the show. Um, I, I just think that The Last Dance is really well made. It's a great story. Good storytelling. And I want to end with this because there's an, a moment in episode 7 and 8. I think it's episode 8 where it is episode 8. Gary Payton who played for the Seattle Sonics was talking about losing the NBA finals to the Chicago Bulls. And he said, you know, he should have guarded Michael Jordan for the whole series. And his coach did not want that. He didn't want Gary Payton guarding Michael Jordan because he wanted Gary Payton to save his energy and save his strength to have, you know, enough energy on the offensive side of the ball. Don't guard Michael Jordan. It's going to wear you out. We want you on offense. And that year, Gary Payton had just won the NBA's defensive player of the year. Like He was a really good defender. And Gary said, Gary Payton goes, if I had guarded Michael Jordan, then maybe the outcome of the series would have been different if I'd guarded him the entire series. Remember, Gary Payton didn't guard Michael Jordan until game four when the Sonics were already down zero games to three. And it's really funny in present day, Michael Jordan's watching on an iPad, they're playing it, they're playing Gary Payton's you know message about that and Michael Jordan just laughs Michael Jordan goes ha no way and to me what stands out from that little interaction where Gary Payton's trying to you know figure out how could it have gone differently Michael Jordan can't even believe a reality is that when we reflect on the past we so often like to tell ourselves stories that help limit us from pain we make ourselves out to be the hero of whatever story, whatever past happened. You know, Gary Payton finds it easier to blame his coach. His coach should have let him guard Michael Jordan for the first three games of the series. It's easier to blame the coach than it is to admit, like, maybe I wasn't good enough to beat Michael Jordan. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Michael Jordan going, you know, he can't even imagine a reality where Gary Payton beats him. And I get it. That's that's how Michael Jordan becomes Michael Jordan. But it's so fascinating to me that when we reflect on the past, uh, when we reflect on our pasts, We all tell ourselves the story we want to hear, whatever makes us feel good about ourselves. And I do it, too. I, you know, when I reflect on college football, sometimes um, I blame my coaches rather than admitting like, hey, maybe I wasn't good enough. I, I, you know, inside, I really still feel like my coaches were wrong and idiots but hey, maybe I wasn't good enough. I mean, that's a real reality. Um, and it's, it's very interesting to me. Like, don't forget that in life. I, I recommend people um, – I really – I challenge you. When you reflect on your past and you're being honest, like I guess, I guess the question really is, are you being honest? Are you really being honest about what happened? Are you putting blame on other people? Are you trying to make yourself the hero of your own story? I get it, man. You, maybe you have to tell yourself whatever you have to tell yourself to to deal with the past. Um, but it's hard to admit your shortcomings and hard to admit where you're not good enough. And it's a question maybe you don't want the answer to. But again, I, I challenge you: try to be honest about the past and reflect on things. Try to admit like your shortcomings. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, I I I really struggle with it. I'm not. You know, I, we talked about Michael Jordan holding people to the same standard. I don't know that I can even hold myself to that standard because it's difficult. Um, especially when you're talking about painful stuff, when you're upset and you're like, man, you know, that hurts. It's easier to say, well, I wasn't really at fault. There's this other third party thing, but sometimes the right thing to do is to look inward and go, man, you know, I really wasn't good enough. I fell short and it's hard, but owning that is so important. I just encourage people when you look on whatever things you're dealing with from your past, whatever hurt, whatever pain, try to look inward and go, man, what could I have done differently? Maybe you know, some people really are victims of a bad circumstance or victims of you know, bad people around them or this or that. Uh, I think of um, David Carr. David Carr is Derek Carr's older brother. David Carr was drafted to the Houston Texans when they first were made into a franchise, and he never really had a true opportunity to succeed as a quarterback. He had a horrible offensive line. Um, really, really bad. They were just a horrible franchise. He never really got a fair chance. There are people out there like that, but man, if you can try to be honest about your past and own whatever shortcomings you had, it's really healthy. It's hard to do. And man, is it so important. Okay. Uh, episode nine and 10 of the last dance, the final two episodes, uh, number one, apparently the flu game wasn't actually the flu game. I never knew this. It was food poisoning. And that's wild. I just had no idea. And it's real. Multiple people told the same exact story. Michael Jordan was sick, and he played 44 minutes and scored 38 points. And apparently, he got food poisoning from a pizza place in Salt Lake City. Never knew that. Had no idea. Uh, Salt Lake City, Utah in the 90s at 10.30 p.m. Apparently, nowhere was open except for one pizza place. Now, I would love to go back in time because... Maybe today, like in the same exact circumstance, if you had Google Maps and you could just Google what's open, maybe things are different. But I, I've been to Salt Lake City. It makes sense that nowhere would be open, given how the city works, given that, you know, this is a little over 20 years ago. It makes sense to be 1030 at night. There's nothing open in Salt Lake City. Not that much of a shock. Way before technology, among other things about the way Salt Lake City works, Um and apparently, you know, pizza was delivered. Five guys brought a pizza to, you know, usually get one delivery guy for one pizza. Five guys came and delivered the pizza to Michael Jordan. And the pizza was messed with. And it made Michael sick. And what's interesting to me, number one, if I was ordering a pizza for Michael Jordan, I'm not sure I would say who it's for. I just don't know. Uh, if I was in that situation, I'm on the road in a hostile city before the internet and um, In the NBA Finals? Do you really want to tell them... Like, if LeBron James is playing against the Boston Celtics in the NBA Finals, and he orders food in Boston, are you going to say it's for LeBron James? Eh, Why? Why not just say It's for Dave, this guy named Dave. I'm picking it up for Dave. Because it's not like... Michael Jordan wasn't the one who went downstairs and got the pizza. He had people. He had, like, an entourage around him. I don't know. It it just doesn't make sense to me. So, I, I just... I believe the story. My point is, I just have always wondered, like, it, again, if you're ordering food for Justin Bieber or, you know, uh, Post Malone is the guy I always go to, my go-to guy, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, do you really say who it's for? Because then you risk people knowing who it's for and intentionally screwing with it, which is what sounds like what happened with Michael Jordan in the late 90s in the NBA Finals against the Utah Jazz. Now, another thing from this episode, from 9 and 10, um... Hearing a story about Steve Kerr's dad, oh my gosh! Um, now I knew that Steve Kerr's Steve Steve's, <laughs> I knew that Steve Kerr's dad had died. I just didn't know how he died. I didn't realize he was killed. And you know, Steve Kerr's story really moved me because he, he talked about, and his family talked about that when he lost his dad, Steve really dove into basketball. And just spent all his time and all his energy focusing on basketball. Kind of to get through the pain of grieving and the loss. And, you know, Steve Kerr was in college when his dad died. I was in college four years ago when my younger brother died. And it led me to really just focus on creating and making Strong Opinion Sports and making the podcast. And it's funny, like, this is episode 250 of Strong Opinion Sports. Like, I, I leaned into creating content because of my brother's death. And it really led me to where I'm at. And similarly, Steve Kerr got to where he's at because of the unfortunate loss of his dad. I think that really pushed him and drove him to do what he's doing. And Steve Kerr talks about how, like, there are moments uh, during the national anthem where he would look out. I'm sure he still does this today. He's coach of the Golden State Warriors, he's won NBA championships. He's probably, every single time he's like, he pinched me like, this is crazy. I wish I could tell my dad about this. How bizarre is it that Steve Kerr has had such a crazy career in basketball? I'm sure you would love to tell his dad. And I, I feel very similarly about my brother. When I, again, I go back to like, this is episode 250 of Strong Opinion Sports. I wish my brother could see all this. I wish my brother could have been with me when I went to football games or in the stands at Utah or the stands at Washington State when I did broadcasting or... You know, when I when I was on the sideline for College Game Day, like, I, there are so many little things. I guess that's wrong. I guess I was in the studio and then on the sideline. College Game Day game, I was on the sideline. I was actually in the studio with Kirk, Kirk Street. you know, on the little set filming. My point is, like, it's insane what's happened. And I totally understand Steve Kerr wanting to, you know, share that moment with people, and it's sad, but it also motivates you and drives you. So I just think it's really cool hearing that story. Uh, it stood out to me, man. Like, people need something to help them get through the pain of grieving. And, you know, between the flu game, or the really the food poisoning game with the pizza guy that was tampered with and then Steve Kerr's dad, those are the two stories that really stood out to me in episode nine and ten of The Last Dance. Now aside from that, in episode nine and ten, really the show was very straightforward. It was kind of like just a recap of history. I thought nine and 10 were they were exactly what they needed to be like you weren't going to get seven and eight were the best episodes uh, and the most moving episodes of the last dance. And it makes sense because they were setting the stage for the final run and nine and 10 were more of a recap of what happened in history and a lot of stuff I already knew. Um, And what's really sad is the ending was tough. The ending of the last dance um, was unsatisfying, but I think that's, again, not the show's fault. It's because there was never really a satisfying answer anyway to why the Chicago Bulls were dismantled when they were. You hear Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, talk about, well, we couldn't pay all the players and this and that. It's like, but you could have waited a year. I just, you know, the Bulls got rid of Phil Jackson, the best coach of all time. They traded Steve Kerr and Scottie Pippen. Uh, They released Dennis Rodman. They let Michael Jordan get retired and go be in retirement. And I just, it's very weird because... You know, Jordan even said they could have done it for one more year. He could have had everybody sign a one year contract, come back, we'll bring the coach back, we're gonna do everything, we're gonna we we won a championship. We should at least try again. And it really feels like the Chicago Bulls pulled the plug while they were on top. And it doesn't make sense to me. Again, why not at least try to go get a seventh ring? I get it, you have players that want to be paid more than they're worth. But again, Jordan said, give everybody a one-year deal. We know what it is. We're going to go for one more ring. Why not have that approach? Go on a year-by-year basis. I. It really feels like Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls were taken apart too early. And I just I will never really feel good about it. And I think that's the point of the last dance, was to say, like, hey, this team, the way this ended was a little bit weird and not quite right. Um, but to just not try for another ring and say, you know what, instead of trying for a championship and having a good winning team, we're going to get rid of everybody and rebuild. Why? Why Why do that that way? It, it's never quite added up to me, and it never, especially now knowing the background, it definitely doesn't add up. Uh, and I was totally unsatisfied. It's a great series. It's a good show. The Last Dance is phenomenal. And I know that it was unsatisfying at the end, but that's the point. And I just, it's weird. I just hope, like Michael Jordan said he never had a conversation with the owner about bringing everybody back together. What do you mean? You never had a conversation? If I'm Michael Jordan, like I look at who I, (laughs) that's a funny statement because who am I to really say what I would do if I was Michael Jordan? But I guess I would think, right? I don't know. I'm not Michael Jordan. I'm not even close. Like, Michael Jordan's unbelievable. But I would think that if Things were coming to an end for my career in a certain team, with a certain team. I would say, hey, ownership, I want to do this again. Can we make it happen? Can we do it again? I would speak up, I would think. I don't know. But I would like to think I would speak up. And it's weird that Michael Jordan didn't. It's kind of bizarre to me that they never had a conversation. And it's very sad because, again, I go back to this. The Jordan-era Bulls feel like they were taken apart Maybe a little bit early, like while they were still on top. And I get you want to be ahead of the curve and you want to make changes before things fall apart. But I just feel like maybe the team had one or two more years of success and we never got to see that. They never, never got that. It never happened. And that's pretty sad. Okay. Um, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Number one, watching the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary got my mind running and You look at Michael Jordan and you go, well, he didn't finish his career with the Chicago Bulls. He actually did it in Washington. And then you go, well, um, Tom Brady left the Patriots to go to the Buccaneers. And Peyton Manning left the Colts to go to the Broncos. Joe Montana left the 49ers to go to the Chiefs. Brett Favre did not finish his career with the Green Bay Packers. And so even the very best players rarely spend their entire career with one team. Is Steph Curry going to finish his career with the Golden State Warriors? Maybe, but I wouldn't bank on it, because we've seen historically that's not what happens. And it's unfortunately the same thing with Aaron Rodgers, where I believe at some point Aaron is going to play for a team not named the Green Bay Packers. I just think at some point Aaron Rodgers will not be a member of the Packers, and he's still going to play in the NFL. Now, Aaron Rodgers did a press conference the other day, uh, and I, I actually I want to give a lot of props. I know the, the opening statement for this topic was, I don't believe Aaron's going to finish his career with the Green Bay Packers, but now I want to talk about that press conference because I thought Aaron represented himself very well. I mean, this is the most... I was so impressed with Aaron. He was very gracious and respectful towards... The Packers front office, he said that those guys are paid to worry about both the present day and the future of our franchise. And honestly, Aaron gave great answer after great answer after great answer. And it was really, you know, it's a 40 minute press conference about the 20 minute mark. He highlighted some of the differences between when the Packers drafted him under Brett Favre compared to the Packers drafting Jordan Love under Aaron Rodgers. You know, this this you know, difference between the, the situation with Jordan Love versus Brett Favre. And one of the best points that Aaron made in the entire press conference was he said that when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers under Brett Favre, Brett Favre, the veteran quarterback, the guy that kind of Aaron Rodgers is now, in that same place in his career, 15 years ago. Brett was flirting with the idea of retirement. Brett Favre was... There was all these rumors and speculation he'd been talking about, maybe I'm going to retire, this and that. And on the other hand, in present day, Aaron has made it very clear, you know, multiple times that he both wants to finish his career with the Green Bay Packers, and he wants to play well into his 40s. Aaron is currently 36 years old, he 40 in four years from now. So, I, I mean, there's going to, at some point, be a point where His hope to do both isn't going to be possible. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I also want to say he was very, very kind to Jordan Love. You know, the Packers drafted Jordan the first round of the NFL draft, really with the hopes that someday he can be the Packers franchise quarterback and ultimately replace Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron said, look, Jordan did not choose this situation. And he said he plans to treat him like, all the other backups he's had over the years. And he kind of went through, like, you know, Scott Tolzien, all these guys saying, Matt Flynn, I've had great relationships with my backup quarterbacks. I still keep in touch with them. I want to have a similar relationship with Jordan Love. And I actually buy it. I, I really, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is just saying that. I don't think he's going to be, I, I don't think he's going to be mean to Jordan Love. There's no reason for that. Now, I, hearing Aaron talk about the Packers drafting Jordan Love made me feel like maybe this is actually a good thing for Aaron Rodgers. Like this is going to help Aaron evolve to the next phase of his career. I I, I just got that sense. I think it's going to make Aaron a better quarterback both, you know, on and off the field. I think he's going to be a better leader because of this dealing with Jordan love and having to be kind and um, gracious. It's going to make Aaron better. I think as a leader and then on the field, I think he's going to be driven to prove the Packers wrong. Like, Hey, You want to replace me with Jordan Love? Okay. (laughs) Good luck. A couple times he said this phrase where Aaron said, you can only control what you can control. He said, I can control how I play. Again, I can control the way I play and I can make it tough for the Packers to replace me. Love that. I really, really love that. I think it's phenomenal. Now, Aaron was very honest, he was very respectful, Um, and I really want to be very, very clear about that. This is the most pro-Aaron Rodgers take I've probably ever made, and I I really feel good about Aaron. I think Aaron represented himself incredibly, incredibly well. Now, at the very end of the press conference, right around the 40-minute mark, the moderator said, okay, one last question. And Aaron was asked a question about the Packers drafting Jordan Love. Now, Aaron gives a really interesting quote, but I want to highlight that. The reason why I said the moderator said one more question is, the deal going into the question was, it was very clear, there's one question left. Aaron Rodgers was not saying stuff, and the Packers went, oh crap, we got to shut this down and hide him. And I think Aaron was very calculated here. He made a statement knowing that this is my last opportunity to say what I'm about to say. Aaron said, about the Packers drafting Jordan Love. My desire to both be with one team my whole career and only one team my whole career, my, my desire to do that and my desire to play into their 40s may not be realistic. I may not be able to do both. I might have to pick, do I want to be with one team my whole career or play well into my 40s? I think he was very honest and I agree with him. Those ideas and hopes may not align at this point. If he wants to keep playing well into his 40s, he might have to leave Green Bay to do so. And I think it's very likely that, given the past with Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, you know, Michael Jordan, um, man, so many Joe Montana, great players don't necessarily stay with the same team their whole career. Ichiro Suzuki did not play his whole career with the Seattle Mariners. That blows my mind. And never thought I would say that. I grew up in the Northwest. I was Ichiro's gonna die a Mariner. Oh. He didn't. He didn't. He played for the Yankees. I watched each row leave. It was kind of weird. I think at some point, Aaron's going to do the same thing too. And I think it's going to be good for Aaron Rodgers because hopefully he can go somewhere where he chooses the team as a free agent and plan a great roster. Maybe the Packers say, look, we're going to do you a favor. We're going to release you. It's good for everybody. Um, I loved Aaron in this press conference. I can't say it enough. I'm not sure what other people have said about it. I know that people often take the words Aaron says and kind of kind of, you know, interpret them as negatively as possible. I'm even guilty of it. I feel bad about it, but I've done that before in the past. And I thought that this press conference for Aaron was really the best-case scenario where he represented himself very well. He was gracious. He was respectful to both the Packers and to Jordan Love. All around, it was great. And I think it's possible that Aaron is going to shred the league next year. I, I I am rooting for Aaron. I'd love to see him win an MVP. Um, he got really th- slighted. And kind of, this team took a dig at him by drafting another quarterback while Aaron's still playing at a high level. Um, and the fact that Aaron had that happen to him, Aaron is, I will say, a victim of a team kind of slighting him. And for Aaron to put on a good face publicly and just take it, you know, hey, They got to do the best they can. Uh, Aaron didn't say anything wrong. He was not vindictive. He wasn't nothing like that publicly. I would love to see Aaron just go out next year, go out on a tear and like win MVP. It would be great chaotic drama. uh, And it'd be kind of fun to watch Aaron make the Packers organization look silly for picking his replacement. To watch Aaron just destroy everybody. Oh, man, it'd be awesome. Now, Aaron also said one more key thing, and this is a nerdy, nerdy football thing for quarterbacks. He said that the key to him having a long career and playing well into his 40s and for a few more years was his legs. The key to his longevity in his career was his legs. And I completely agree. It's very, very true. This is a a thing that people often don't understand. Many people believe that when a quarterback's career and really when their ability to throw the ball tails off, People go, well, his arm is dead. His arm, his noodle arm just lost it. And no, the reason why people have a hard time throwing as they get older is because their legs get worn out. Your legs are what you use to generate force. Now, of course, there are are joints and muscles and there are problems. People have problems with their arm. But the real thing that happens first is that you lose your legs. And once you lose your legs, you're done. When you have a hard time driving and using your legs to generate force. They're tired or they're worn out. I mean, this can even happen mid-season. If you go too hard in training camp as a quarterback where you have like two, two three-day practices a day, you're not resting or icing or stretching and trying to recover. Quarterbacks have to manage their legs, and it's something that no one talks about. When I played quarterback, I iced every single day, and people go, you're just a quarterback. Yeah, but everything I do is with my legs. And it's an important part of thing, you know, football that people just don't realize or understand. The game of quarterback has played so much with your legs, even if you're not running. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, guys who don't necessarily run around still use their legs a ton. It's important. And Aaron's totally right. The key to his longevity of his career is absolutely his legs. All right, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Nick Saban. We're going to talk about Josh Rosen. We're going to talk about, oh, man. Pass interference replay was taken away. I got a lot to say about that. It's kind of a sad story. We'll do that when I return. Then we'll finish the show with Ask Zach. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I saw a story the other day that really made me just love a coach and feel great about something. Uh, Nick Saban. Nick Saban, Alabama's head coach said that he advised Jalen Hurts to transfer to Oklahoma instead of Miami or Maryland. So apparently when Jalen Hurts was planning to leave Alabama, there were three choices on the table. Miami had his former quarterback coach as their offensive coordinator. Maryland had Alabama's former offensive coordinator, Mike Loxley, as their head coach. And Jalen Hurts had two schools available to him, with coaches he'd worked with at Alabama, and was leaning towards working with people he knew and working with people he'd worked with before. Now, the third school like, option out there was Oklahoma. And Nick Saban came up to him and said, Jalen, who has the best players? Oklahoma. And he said, you know, Nick said, we just played Oklahoma. They've got good players on offense. And quarterback is a hard position to play. If you don't have good players around you, you have one year to create as much NFL value as you can. And if you know you can be the starter, then go where they have the best players. And I just love that so much. Um, Nick Saban, it makes me love him even more. That's such a good story to hear. Nick Saban was not trying to disrespect his former Alabama employees, Mike Loxley uh, and the other coach at Miami. He was just looking out for Jalen's best interest. He was trying to help his player, even though his player was transferring and leaving. You know, when I played college football, I wanted to transfer to another school to try and play and get on the field. And both my head and my offensive coordinator especially, was really unhelpful. And they created roadblocks for me and made it difficult for me to transfer, difficult for me to even leave. And they were not helpful. They were not gracious. And it sounds like Nick Saban was very helpful, very gracious, and wanted what was best for Jalen Hurts. And hearing that Nick Saban helped Jalen Hurts as he transferred away from Alabama, man, that made me happy. He's like, yes, that's so awesome. Nick Saban is a classy dude who only wanted best for his player. He only wanted what was best for Jalen Hurts, and I love that. And it's not very often you hear that when a coach is having a player transfer out of their program That he helps them and helps them get the best opportunity for them available. Just just love that. I think it's awesome. Makes me love Nick Saban even more. Okay, uh, the other day I came out. I came out and called Josh Rosen a bust. And oh, man, I got a lot of pushback. People were not happy. Uh, And it's shocking to me, really. People strongly disagreed. And I kind of can't believe people don't agree with this statement. Josh Rosen is a bust. People need to realize Josh Rosen was drafted. He was a quarterback picked in the top 10. He was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals to be their franchise quarterback. And he wasn't. He's not. Josh Rosen got replaced after one year by Kyler Murray. I know everybody knows this, but realize, let it sink in. It's a huge deal. The Cardinals had Josh Rosen on their roster. A top 10 pick? and picked another quarterback instead. They moved on. When you pick a quarterback in the top 10, you pick him to be your franchise quarterback. He wasn't. And if a quarterback that's picked in the top 10 doesn't become that team's franchise quarterback, bust, man. Didn't pan out. And then not only that, the next year, after being traded in the offseason, Josh Rosen was on the Miami Dolphins. He got beat up by Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then the Dolphins, while having Josh Rosen on their roster, picked another quarterback, over number five overall. They picked Tua. They've replaced him again. Josh Rosen has been replaced two times in two years. And people want to say, it's a circumstance, not a good team. Uh, the coaching staff in Miami is pretty dang good. Here's how you determine a bust. A draft bust is a player who was drafted high in the first round and did not display the talent or reach the heights that he was perceived to be able to do. Josh Rosen was perceived not only as a franchise quarterback, he was perceived as the Cardinals' franchise quarterback. And then people thought, well, maybe he'll be the Dolphins' franchise quarterback. Again, replaced twice in two years. Two teams have had him on their roster, and realized, oh, Josh Rosen isn't the guy. He's not a franchise quarterback. I get it's only been two years, and people are like, well, how can you make a guy out to be a bust after two years? I know it's harsh, but how can you not call him a bust after what's happened? How can you not call Josh Rosen a bust? I don't understand. No matter what happens the rest of his career, he was a bad pick by the Arizona Cardinals. And here's what's telling, I've never heard a Cardinals player or a Dolphins player or even really a UCLA former teammate, you've never heard anybody in the NFL say, man, Josh Rosen should have gotten more of a chance. People that were at practice with Josh Rosen every single day, nobody seems upset about him getting replaced. Nobody seems upset. Nobody's, that nobody on the Dolphins or the Cardinals stood up for Josh Rosen. That's kind of weird. Does that not mean anything? Josh Rosen is a bust. I know it's harsh. Josh, if you're watching this, I am sorry. I hope you make it. I hope you, whatever's wrong with you, whatever is keeping you from being a franchise quarterback, I hope you fix it. I hope you figure things out. But he was drafted by the Cardinals to be a franchise quarterback. He's not, he's not the franchise quarterback for the Cardinals. That's it right there. He also couldn't win over Miami. It's harsh, but it's true. Josh Rosen is a bust. And the fact that people deny it and don't accept that is very weird to me. I don't really fully understand why people push back on that so much. Okay. um, Oh, boy, I love this topic. Um, In the NFL playoffs two years ago, there was a really, really bad missed call. Pass interference should have been called against the Rams. It would have helped the Saints, and it likely cost the Saints from going to the Super Bowl. So last year, as a response to that, the NFL made it possible for teams to challenge pass interference calls. And the hope was, at had good intention. The goal was to not have badly, blatantly missed calls. And it went poorly. Calls were missed. And now next year, the NFL is going back to the way things were before. You can no longer, pass interference replay is no longer a thing. It will not return. And the rule is gone. You cannot challenge pass interference next year in the NFL. And here's what's really sad to me. Here is the big loss, the big, big failure, the sad reality here. It was just poorly executed. The execution never matched the intent. You know, so in that NFC Championship game two years ago, Rams versus Saints. It was really bad, really blatant, really obvious. And the original intent behind making a pass interference replay rule, the reason it was made was to stop blatant and obvious p- calls from being missed. You don't want to have blatant and obvious pass interference calls get missed and not be solved or fixed. It's a common sense problem. Now, the problem is that once you gave NFL coaches the opportunity, the availability to challenge pass interference, they challenged everything. And you can't blame the coaches. I get it. They're very competitive. If they think they have an, a, a chance, a slight opportunity to win a challenge or you know overturn a pass interference, they're going to try to make it happen. And we saw everything. When when we saw replay of pass interference, oh man, every little frame was analyzed, millisecond by millisecond. We saw in slow motion. And when you slowed everything down, it was very clear. Oh my gosh, the refs have missed a lot. When you watch things in slow motion, sometimes you don't like what you find. And fans were mad, and I, I understand why fans were mad because when you watch something in slow motion, a lot of the time it's more clear than when you watch full speed. Whatever. Uh, And it's just sad to me that the original intent of the rule was lost. The original reason for making the rule, people forgot about it. Because when you watch something in slow motion, all pass interference can look really blatant and really obvious. You can make an argument that it looks very clear and obvious when you're watching millisecond by millisecond. Well, clearly he touched him before this. Yes, I get it. The tools required to slow things down, you can see it very obviously. But the rule was created to stop pass interference like what happened against the Saints two years ago. You didn't need slow motion for that one. When you're watching it in real time, when you're watching it live, you went, ugh, that's clearly a missed call. You didn't need replay to figure that one out. And what's sad is that, you know, about the replay pass interference challenge is that having it removed means you lost a chance at common sense. We've now lost an opportunity to do the right thing when there's a clear, obvious miss. We don't have that anymore. That's the loss here. That's the problem. Fans were all upset about really close calls that I don't care about. Tiny moments where it comes down to the millisecond. Don't care. I personally don't care about those calls because, hey, they're so close, whatever. But what's sad is that the NFL doesn't even have the ability now to overturn really really obvious mistakes a couple years ago Armando Galarraga threw a perfect game in baseball and the reason on the very last out would have been the very last out to make it a perfect game the umpire blew the call and I remember sitting in my house going why can't you just say this one time use common sense he was out the ref the umpire missed the call Armando Galarraga should have a perfect game. And at the time, I was just going, where is the common sense here? Why can't we get what's right? When you watch the Saints and the Rams game, common sense is, hey, that's a penalty. You can't tackle a guy when the ball's in the air to keep him from catching the ball on the two-yard line. Should have been a penalty. And everybody knew it. And when it happened, the NFL went, oh, crap. We don't have a system in place to overturn a really badly missed call. And so all I want, I want some kind of way to enforce common sense where I don't care about the really close debatable penalties. If it's like millisecond by millisecond, if you have to watch it in slow motion to determine it, I don't want that. I don't care about that. But it's sad we don't have some kind of common sense rule to combat a really obvious miss where... Yeah, the Saints Rams game or you have the Armando Galarraga thing in baseball where it's clearly an obvious miss. It's like why can't we just use common sense and overturn that? That's all I ask. I don't know how you I wish there was a better system in place. Now somebody's got to comment, well, you know the NFL did miss obvious calls last year. You can argue that if you want. Again, those misses were only obvious if you were watching with slow motion. I just want a way to avoid The very worst of the very worst. Two years ago, there was nothing. There was no rule. Then last year, the pendulum swung way too far the other way. And every single little pass interference call was challenged. And I just want to find some sort of middle ground. It's sad the NFL gave up on the rule after one year because coaches were figuring out how it worked. You saw a lot of experimentation at the beginning of the year going, hey, it looks close, let's challenge that. Oh, we're not going to win that. And the coaches learned as the year went on, hey, we can only win certain ones. And it's just sad that, again, I go back to this, really obvious, badly missed calls cannot be changed. To me, that seems like common sense. And it's just sad we don't have that. It makes me go, oh, really? We really don't have a way to solve that in the NFL. Seems like a silly missed opportunity. Okay, uh, it's time for Ask Zach. My favorite part of the show is where we answer questions from Patreon, from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach schomler Give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. It means a big deal to me. A uh, dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to answer it on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. If you send me a message or you comment on a post on Patreon. I will look at your question and I pick the top couple to read at the end of every single show. Now, the first question of the day is from Maxwell. Maxwell writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, what are your thoughts on Avatar The Last Airbender? And uh, people keep asking me, you know, people say like, I'm stuck at home. What should I watch? I got, uh, can you recommend anything to me? I really highly recommend Go watch Avatar The Last Airbender. My girlfriend and I just finished the series. It's phenomenal. It was her first time watching. It was my second time all the way through. There's three seasons. It's Technically, it's a kid's show. It's, it was on Nickelodeon at the time when I was a kid. But it's not really a kid's show. It's a very unique, unique show where it's almost like someone at Nickelodeon went, Man, I got this great story to tell. And my only platform, my only outlet is Nickelodeon. So we're gonna find a way to make this story be a kids show, and it wasn't like they were shoehorning it in. Like it worked incredibly it was exactly what it needed to be. It's got an incredible story. It's got heart. It's got life lessons. The last Airbender made me cry a couple times. I went, man, there's this one scene in particular. Uh, I'll just say that there, I'll say this. There's a character named Zuko, who's so compelling. I just Zuko, mm, man, he's my favorite character in in you know, kids television. And really, a lot of television in my entire life. I just love it. And I I cannot recommend you go watch Avatar, The Last Airbender, enough. It's a phenomenal show. No matter who you are, no matter how old you are, it's a great story. I cannot wait to watch it with my kids someday. It's a perfect show. And it's crazy. Some people say, like, remake it! Or people say, give it a live-action series. It's an animated kids' show. And... I don't know why people want to change it. It's perfect the way it is. I'm 23 years old. I watched it. Hey, it's got themes that people in their 80s are going to care about. And no matter who you are, no matter what point of your life, and you go, it's a good story with really good heart and really good intention and a lot of lessons you can learn from it. And it's perfect the way it is. It tells exactly the story it needs to in the perfect way. You know, they tried to give it a live-action movie. Don't watch it. The live-action Avatar, The Last Airbender movie... It's absolutely terrible. This is not Avatar, the blue aliens. This is Avatar guy with the blue um, arrow on his forehead. Different Avatar. Um, it's now a show. It's the show on Netflix. By the way, I didn't watch it on Netflix. I watched it on Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, I have a I I bought like the six ninety nine subscription. I actually, got a, a month free trial, so I didn't even pay for it uh, to watch Avatar for free on like the Nicktoons or Nick Hits or something. Um, but it's on Netflix now. You can go watch. us watching last night. I was scrolling through Netflix last night. Avatar The Last Airbender is on Netflix. Go watch it. It's a phenomenal show. I cannot recommend it enough. It's, um, I think it's must-watch television, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are. I think a lot of people—it's uh, it's an animated cartoon, and it tells a, a grown-up story that's really, really good. That's, that's safe for kids, but also a, just a phenomenal, phenomenal show. I gotta say, I also recommend Stargate SG-1. Uh, Stargate is one of my favorite TV shows ever. You got to start though with the movie. Uh, it was a movie in the late '90s. It's got Kurt, uh, what is it? Kurt Russell, James Spader, uh, and then the TV show actually continued the story the movie told. So the the TV show is a continuation of that storyline. It's phenomenal. It's got Richard Dean Anderson who played uh, MacGyver back in the day. The TV show is even better than the movie. It's got fun sci-fi. And uh, it's just a great show. I recommend if you like sci-fi at all, go watch Stargate. It's great. And then if you like video games, I've been playing a game called Rage Two recently. Where, uh, and I'm like one of the only people in the world who played the original Rage video game on the PS3. Um, but Rage Two is great. It's very kind of silly and over the top with the storytelling. Uh, it's not The Last of Us. It's not Uncharted. It's not God of War on the PS4, but it's a fun open world first person shooter, and it knows what it is. It's very self aware. It's just gamey. It's a fun video game. It doesn't try to do. You know, it doesn't try to be what it's not. It's just you move around. Moving is incredibly fun. Shooting's great. Uh, gameplay is what is king here, and uh, I just I recommend if you if you're not sure, if you're interested in what I'm saying, if you want a first person shooter that's going to give you a lot to do. Go watch the Before You Buy on Games Rank Game Ranks for Rage 2. Um, I also believe Rage 2 is on Xbox One Game Pass. It's a phenomenal game. Ah, phenomenal is a strong word. It's a good game that's really fun. And if you're looking for something to do and you're bored at home, go play Rage 2. It's awesome. Okay, uh, Bill writes in. Now, Bill, the, the, the word is the... Bill, I don't know how you wanted this to be read because you say uh, Tualia Tagavaloa Brother which I don't know. I'm going to just read it in my own words. So Bill writes in, and, and Bill's organization of a sentence is confusing for me. No offense, Bill. I just didn't know what you meant. But I'm going to do the best I can. I, I know you, I know what you meant. I'm not going to pick your grammar apart. I don't care at all. I know what you meant. He said, uh, Talia Tagavaloa, brother of Tua, is transferring to Maryland, and it's a big deal for us Terps. Do you have any thoughts on the Maryland football program and your thoughts thoughts on the transfer in general. Thanks, Bill. Um, so Mike Loxley is Maryland's head coach. And Tua's little brother, Talia, is transferring from Alabama to Maryland. And in case it wasn't clear, you know, Mike Loxley used to be Alabama's offensive coordinator. So it makes sense that Talia has a relationship with Tua. Tua has a relationship with Mike Loxley. There is a relationship from the past between Talia and Mike Loxley and you know Michael Oxley knows Tua really well knows the brother, and it's very interesting. Here's what I care about with this story. There's two things. Um, I I wonder. I would think that Talia, Talia Tagovailoa, Tua Tagovailoa's little brother. Yes, the same guy was drafted number five overall of Miami Dolphins. If I say Tua, there's not another single Tua in the world. So at least it's famous. So I don't whatever. Um, I would think that Talia Tagovailoa is going to Maryland. To be the starting quarterback. Because if you're not going to be the starting quarterback. Why would you leave? You know. Because Alabama. If you're going to be a backup anywhere in college football. I would think Alabama's like the best place to do it. It's phenomenal. I mean you have a great program. You win a lot of games. You're around Nick Saban. You have an opportunity to invest in a program. Become a coach someday. If you're not going to be a starter. You would have stayed at Alabama. So I think Tali is going to Maryland. To try to compete and be the starting quarterback. Um, and. I, I don't have much else to say. I'm curious will he play? I, I hope he plays. Uh, he's really athletic. He's got a really good arm. Um, he's decently strong arm. He has the exact same throwing motion as his brother Tua. Like if you flip Tua and make us a Tua looks like a right handed quarterback, they throw exactly the same. Now it's tough to compare them because Tua was the number five overall pick in the NFL draft. Will Tua be as accurate? Will he have the same anticipation? I have no idea. But I hope he plays, and I'm rooting for Talia. Um, Talia is the younger brother of a big star in the football world, Tua. Tua has been the face of college football for like the last two years, and to be his little brother is a—it's really kind of a hard journey. A lot of pressure. That's not easy. And um, I just—you know—I'm rooting for him as a person, as a quarterback. I hope he does well. I hope he plays, and. I hope that the pressure of being Tua's little brother is not something... I'm sure it weighs on him just a little bit, whether he would ever acknowledge that publicly or not. Um, And I hope he's got some personal stuff worked out to deal with all that, because it can be really hard. Being Tua's little brother cannot be easy, is what I'm saying. And I just hope that Tua... I hope that Talia succeeds. I'm rooting for him. I want him to play. I'd love to watch him. It'd be really fun. And um, I just think, you know... My brother and I were really close, and I, the, the brothers is an interesting dynamic, and I just am rooting for Talia. That's all I really have to say. I hope he plays. Will he play? I don't know. If he does become the starting quarterback at Maryland next year, it's going to make me want to watch Maryland football. For the first time in my entire life, I'll be honest, I had no interest or care about Maryland football until Talia is going there. And I care about Talia because but it's interesting, and it'll be fun, and I'm excited to watch it. I just really uh, – it's going to be a good experience, and I can't wait to watch Talia Tungvaloa hopefully be the starting quarterback at Maryland. Okay, Thomas writes in. Thomas says, are you a Star Wars fan? If so, what's your favorite movie? Mm. You know, uh, number one before – I love Star Wars. And before I say my favorite movie, I want to tell you – I think I, I more strongly hate the worst Star Wars movie – Then I love the best Star Wars movie, if that makes sense. I, oh, I'm calming down. I have never hated a movie more in my entire life (laughs) than Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I absolutely hate that movie. I hate the kid actor who's awful. I hate Jar Jar Binks. I hate the story. I hate that they killed Darth Maul. And I don't care if it's spoiled because it's been out for 20 years phantom menace is such a misstep and i i wish the story has potential uh it's got bad directing from george lucas it's got bad writing it's got bad ideas i would love to remake star wars the phantom menace the right way if someone would let me they would never would but i have thousands I, not thousands i probably have probably have 700 pages written about and I'm, I'm not exaggerating i know it's like you're like what no i have like five notebooks full of ideas of how I would like dialogue whole scenes written you know, from a directing standpoint, like because you write a script and I've written scripts literally for Phantom Menace because I so, so badly wanted to get fixed. I, I think that man, the, the idea of Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader is like, oh, it's the coolest idea. And if you could make it make sense, if you could make the audience go, Oh crap. I get why Anakin Skywalker is going to the dark side. I get it. You know, part of my idea for this is like, I wish that you could have, um, I'm trying to make it right. First of all, you have the, the, the clones in Star Wars. And you're like, why are there clones? That's kind of messed up. And imagine if you were literally created to be a soldier. You never chose to be a soldier. The clones are basically slaves and the clones are used by the Jedi. That's really, really weird. And I would think Anakin would look around and go, "Hey, the Jedi are supposed to be the good guys. They have these like weird slave dudes fighting for them, the clones. That's bizarre." And the clones never chose this. And I just I see this envision the story where Anakin Skywalker, who is good at first, becomes Darth Vader. Anakin Skywalker becomes friends of the clone troopers. Some of them die. Some of them never wanted to be in the war. And he goes, "This is unjust. This is wrong." And then you have the Jedi saying, "Balance is important." And, but Anakin Skywalker goes, but you're not actually valuing balance. You're saying balance is important. You want both sides. And you're actually just saying you only take the good. You never take the bad. And Anakin can see some value in some bad traits. Like, you know, anger is sometimes good. It helps motivate him. Or, you know, there are certain things he takes from the dark side. And he goes, they actually have helped me in my life quietly. I've never shared that. Or a great one is I I envision this story where, um, Anakin Skywalker's dad is this crazy, like, p- fighter pilot that is, like, really revered in the Republic by the Jedi. And quietly behind the scenes, he goes home and beats Anakin's mom. And Anakin goes, the Jedi love this guy, and he's actually bad. I watch him beat my mom every single night. This can't be right. And it would explain why Anakin's a great fighter pilot. It would explain why Anakin, you know, Anakin in my story would kill his father to save his mom. And it's like, oh, it's dark and messed up. But if your dad gets home drunk every night, beating on your mom maybe Anakin does do that. And Anakin would be crazy force powerful where I wish the force in Star Wars worked like athletic ability where some people are just more athletically gifted than others. And Anakin's like so good where, you know, most people have to train for, imagine like this pen. If if we, I could use the force in Star Wars to like lift up this pen. And like, and, but imagine that to do that for Jedi even takes years of training to like Shaking, 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 and it finally lifts up. But Anakin's like moving whole cars and moving like big spaceships with his force-sensitive powers, and he's never been trained. He's literally so naturally gifted with the force, kind of like some people just naturally can dunk. I can't dunk. I've never been that naturally gifted, but some people I know are like five seven and they can dunk. They're just more physically gifted and naturally gifted than me. So Anakin's this crazy, naturally gifted kid with the force. He's had a dark story where his. Dad used to beat on his mom. He had to kill his dad to save his mom. His friends are clones. They're really slaves by the Jedi. And the Jedi have this like blind spot where they think that they're talking about balance, but they're not actually preaching balance. And then I just I just see it make sense where like, oh, you get why Anakin's going away from the quote good side. The good side isn't quite as good. It's not as black and white. And I just my point is this. I am ranting now. And I did not mean to go here. Oh my gosh. It's clearly like a passion project for me. I really care about it. Where I just wish I'd watched the the prequel movies and gone, oh, I understand why Anakin's doing bad stuff. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. But the progression from a story standpoint made sense. And you go, oh, I empathize with Anakin Skywalker. I understand why he's doing evil, bad things. I don't like it, but I understand it. Now, I... I, I don't know. I have, I have literally like I have these like composition notebooks full. I'll, I'll save you this. I'm not gonna say any more about it, but I, I have so many things to talk about. I would love to remake the prequels and I'd love to do it myself and write it and tell a great story. Um, but my favorite Star Wars movie is either Empire or Jedi. I really love All three. I love New Hope. I love Empire Strikes Back. I love the Jedi, Return of the Jedi. All three are amazing. Uh, Han Solo is my favorite character. When I was a kid, I loved Jack Sparrow, Han Solo, and Captain Kirk from Star Trek. They were, like, my heroes. Uh, Now, if I had to pick, it's either Jedi or Empire Strikes Back. Cloud City is really cool. I think, honestly, Return of the Jedi is my favorite movie, even though I think that... I think the story is better in Empire, but the worlds are cooler in Jedi. And I watch movies as, like, a form of escape. I love to see stuff that I'm never going to see in my own real lifetime. And, like, Jabba's Palace was awesome. I love that whole... Everything to do with Jabba's palace is really, really cool. Um, I will wanna, I do want to say, though, um, Jedi Jedi or Empire are my two favorite movies in the Star Wars franchise. But I want to give a strong shout-out to Rogue One. In my opinion, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi are the three best Star Wars movie movies. However, maybe the third best, I would be willing to move A New Hope down one spot to give it to Rogue One. Rogue One is unreal, and it's really, even now, even though it's recent, it's kind of forgotten. Rogue One captures the feel of the original three movies. I think better than the prequels did, better than George Lucas did with Phantom Menace, and you've heard me passionately ranting. Uh, better than better than the new stuff, like the new you know, sequel trilogy with Kylo Ren and Rey uh, and Finn. I think that Rogue One is the fourth best Star Wars movie behind the original three and better than anything else, better than anything George Lucas made after Return of the Jedi, better than the new, you know, the new saga with Ray and Finn. Rogue One was clearly made by people who grew up and cared deeply about Star Wars and went, "I want to do it justice. I want to make something in the same vein of what George Lucas did." And I think that the writer of Rogue One, I forget his name right now, he's a really cool, I think British guy. Um, he does like games coverage occasionally with his company called Kind of Funny, kind of random thought. Um, but he clearly, I think, understood what Star Wars was better than honestly, and this is a very bold statement, but I think that the writer of Rogue One understood what the original Star Wars movies were better than George Lucas did. I think George Lucas, I don't think he ever really quite understood the magic of what made A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Jedi Returns. I don't think he really understood what made them so great, because he clearly went way off the beaten path and went way. took a left turn with the prequel trilogy and didn't capture the magic again. Rogue One is the first movie that captured that Star Wars magic again, and Rogue One is phenomenal and a forgotten story that is so much better than anybody gives it credit for. It's really sad that it ended the way it did. It's like a sad movie. It's like, oh, that sucks because you fall in love with these characters and then they're gone, and my dad will never watch it probably because it hurts his heart, but Rogue One... Is just a phenomenal, phenomenal Star Wars movie. And I think the fourth best, if not third best, in the entire franchise. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I want to end this show the way I always do, which is to say that four years ago, my young, younger brother took his own life. And I learned two really painful lessons. Uh, number one, if you're struggling, go get help. Do not suffer in silence. My brother never told anybody he was having a hard time. If you have nobody you can talk to as a last result last result, last, I always say that last result, it doesn't even make sense as a last resort. There's nobody else you can talk to. Then call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. Um, and then make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Um, I've gotten some messages recently, people concerned, no, I, I understood. Like I, I did what I could, but I just encourage you man. make sure the people in your life know you love them, give them hugs, make sure they're cared for. Do what you can to make sure the people in your life know you love them and make sure they know that if they're struggling, they can come talk to you. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. And uh, that is all I have. bum bam, we are done.